Hello, welcome to the Dive In Movie Cast, a film podcast where two unqualified critics give their opinions and try and differentiate themselves from every other podcast out there. My name is Hayden. And I'm Wesley. And this week we're talking 2023 in film. We're joined by Joe DePakakibo from Kyber Culture. Once again, it's been way too long to get into all the best stuff we saw this year. Um, and honestly, like, before we get right into it, how have you been doing, Joe? Dude, man, I've been doing great. Thanks for having me back on here. And Always. yeah, like like we say on each other's pods, you know, it, it's too much time between, you know, our last appearances. Um, so I'm hyped to be back to talk about my favorites of 2023. Yeah. Um, but how I'm doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, moving to New York at the end of the month. Uh, you guys know that we, we briefly chatted about it. And, uh, and yeah, things are just things are going well. It's exciting stuff, man. And also like, we were joking around before we started recording that it's like going to be way easier for us to record together now because right now you're in you're in California. It's a four hour time difference from us. Once we're in New York, it's only an hour time difference. So this will actually like maybe we'll be able to have you on more frequently. Yeah, for sure. No, and vice versa too. You know, like it's it's just crazy that there's still a time difference of an hour, but it's better than four. Yeah, you, know? you can make it work a little bit easier. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, I'm pumped because there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, uh, I feel like most of the people that have podcasts that I know at least are based like on the East coast, you know? Mm -hmm. So collaborating and doing all that stuff is just going to be easier all around. But yeah. until we got close and we started talking through the podcast, I actually had no idea that California was such like a drastically different time zone than, than our time zone, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, <with you>. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah. 2 PM for us right now. It's like 10 AM for you, for you. It's like completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but the New York move is, is very exciting stuff, man. I feel like, I feel like that, that is a city I can see you in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, man. Like, I don't think that, like when you guys went to New York, I don't think you guys got to check it out, but I'm going to be frequenting at the AMC that has like the, the huge 70 millimeter, 70 millimeter IMAX, Dude. supposedly like the biggest one. I know it's the biggest one in the city and then, uh, might be the biggest one in the country. I don't know, but but yeah, it's gonna be sick. I watched a, uh, I, I saw my first seventy millimeter movie there, uh, and it was Bo's Afraid, which was kind of crazy to see in seventy yeah, millimeter. That's movie. wild. <laughs> that's a trip. The giant penis <laughs> monster in seventy millimeter is insane. Yeah, no, it, it was nuts. It was it was so like overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Isn't there only like 30 70 millimeter theaters like in the world, or something like that? That sounds that sounds about right. Yeah, no, there's not that many of them. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, I'll have I'll have to plan a trip out there, and we can we can go see some shit in the future. Yeah, we can go see a movie. Like the I imagine the first seventy millimeter I'll see is probably Dune Part Two, and that's like to, oh. that that one being the first one I see in New York. Oh man, Ooh. that's, that's gonna be amazing. The city is yeah, the city's <laughs> gonna be talking to you. You're gonna be like, I'm I'm meant to be here. I'm never going. I'm never going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, man. It's the second awesome. that that Hans Zimmer score kicks in, you yeah, it's all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we're going to be talking all about everything that we've seen and that we've loved in the year of 2023. It's been a crazy year for movies. And I feel like when I've been talking to people about it, I've gotten a lot of like shrug reactions. Like everybody's been like, yeah, 2023, some good movies. But like, I feel like that's deeply undercutting how much incredible shit came out this year. Like I was actually talking with my roommate earlier and he's like, did anything of any value really come out this year? And I'm like, man, like, like you we've got to go to the movies more because this has been an, a pretty amazing year at the movie theaters, in my opinion. Um, just to start off, what are your guys' thoughts on, on 2023 in film at large, just in general? I, uh, 
I, I think as I was making my list, I was looking at like the amount of movies that came out this year and also the amount of just like incredible movies that came out this year. I think one of my biggest things that I, as I'm reflecting on the movies that I've seen this year or the movies that have come out, um, I, I think my favorite thing is seeing a lot more directors push boundaries, um, make new exciting things that we haven't seen yet, or uh, just really like make these movies that I think will cement a place in my heart and in my brain for years to come. Like there's definitely some movies on this list that I'm like, I can't wait to watch that in like two years time and reflect on it again. Um, so I think for me, one of my favorite things is seeing all these like um, movies that are pushing the boundaries of what we normally expect from Hollywood. I mean, the biggest one being like Barbie in particular, but uh, there's just so much great stuff out there. Yeah, I completely agree. Joe, what about you? No, yeah, man. I uh, I feel like we briefly like talked about this on my other pod um, on the Kyber culture because people like we we like watching movies, you know. So we're going out to seek all the good shit. So of course, like we're gonna know like what's good and what's out there. But I feel like just the general audience just isn't aware and i guess it's up to us to just let them know like yeah no great movies came out this year you know you should uh like i'll sit down and watch one with you or something but yeah no i i think it's like you know it's like how 2020 like even though it was like all the movie theaters were shut down there's still good stuff out there if you just went out to find it Mm -hmm. whether it be on streaming or in theaters you know 2020 was a really great year that i feel like people shrug off because it was the covid year but there was a lot of really good movies that year yeah the, I, what I'm concerned about, though, is 2024, because this is going to be the year where it feels a little dead because of the strikes that went on last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this year, I'm a little you know skeptical on. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I was crafting my, my 2024 most anticipated list. And I, I think we're going to have Guy on the Movies on next week to talk or Guy at the Movies on uh, next week to talk all about most anticipated for 2024. Or I was talking with him and. I was making my list and I was like, this is tough. There's there's stuff that I'm excited for, but overall it, it's seeming like a kind of barren year comparatively to what we what we just got in twenty twenty three. Yeah, no, like when, when I made my twenty twenty three most anticipated last year, I like had my list like set. Like there was like top ten, maybe even top twenty. And I have like I only have like twenty one films on my twenty twenty four list, but like putting together the top ten, I was like, Yeah, I'll put this in my top ten, you know. <laughs> A lot of it for me was just like, fuck it. You know what? Throw it. Yeah. Throw it yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 2023, so. I, I agree with you guys. I think that it was like just constantly I was enjoying whatever I saw at the theater. I made my top 25 um, movies of the year and I posted that on the dive in Instagram. And I realized while I was making that list that like there's still like a solid 15 or 20 movies that I didn't even get in my top 25 that I like really liked. Like Bo is Afraid didn't make it into my top 25. I love Bo is Afraid weird ass movie that that I really enjoyed and there's just a bunch of little ones like that where I was like I really love this and it still didn't make make my list mm-hmm. yeah Infinity Pool another movie that nobody talked about that I absolutely loved yeah that's the thing there's like kind of like Joe was saying there's just so much out there that I feel like it's almost people are almost like ah, oh, there are so many movies coming out I can't keep up um, but there are some real gems from this year that I think if people haven't seen are so worth watching before uh, the year ends and we get into kind of Oscar season to finally decide who's going to win it all. Yeah, 
absolutely. It's going to be a crazy award season too. That's one thing I've been thinking about a lot recently as we we get into the time of the year where we're going to start our award season coverage. It's like this is going to be a weird year at the Oscars, and I'm really excited to see how it unfolds. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, what what you can really assume is that like just because the Golden Globes are tonight, I don't know if I'll be able to watch them, but. You know, you look at the most nominated movies there and it's Oppenheimer and Barbie. And, you know, that was like the big that was like the big movie event, you know, that kind of, I think, brought in the general audience, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, yeah, man, we'll see. Like, I, if I'm putting money, like if I'm betting money, uh, I'll probably say like, you know, Oppenheimer is going to probably sweep it up at the Oscars, even though I, you know, I like Oppenheimer a lot. But I definitely think it's going to see quite a few yeah. awards. Do we think yeah. it's going to win just technicals, or do we think it's going to get best picture? It's the real question. Definitely it's, technicals, it, but yeah, definitely technicals, and I think it like it, you know, pretty high chances for it to win best picture. I think. Yeah, I'm I just, feel like it's between Oppenheimer. I don't know if Barbie has chances to win best picture, but it'll, it's probably in the conversation. And um, I feel like a movie that no one's really talking about for best picture is Poor Things. But yeah, we'll see. I feel like that one had a lot of early buzz and then it kind of like fizzled out a little bit, but I do think it'll still be a big part of the conversation, especially for Emma Stone. Yeah. Yeah. This, this year was insane though. We got uh, new releases from beloved filmmakers like Martin Scorsese, David Fincher, Sofia Coppola, Greta Gerwig, Christopher Nolan, Alexander Payne, just to name a few. Um, and then we also saw the arrival of many talented uh, filmmakers like Celine Song, um, Danny and Michael Filippo. So it's just been a year where we've seen a lot of, new new faces pop up that I feel like are going to be very relevant throughout the next decade or next couple of years and then also we got some of the masters making some of the best movies by that they've made in a long time mm-hmm. so yep. before we get right into it and we start naming our favorites let's do some honorable mentions if anybody has any honorable mentions movies they just kind of want to throw off off the dome um, I'll start one for me that I really wanted to make my list that just didn't quite make my list was talk to me um and if you had actually asked me this like a couple days ago, it would have been number 10 on my list. But I saw something in the last few days that I'll, I'll get to when we get to my list that just kind of completely fucked, fucked it up and just threw talk to me right out of the conversation. Uh, we did a whole pod on that movie. I think it's one of the most unique horror movies I've seen in a while. It's scary. Uh, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. It's got a short, brisk runtime that keeps you engaged throughout its entire entire time. Uh, and just great performances and cool spooky shit i really liked it nice wesley joe do you have any couple honorable mentions that you want to throw off um one that didn't make my list that i i will just mention um is uh the killer i i thought this was a really cool movie and the more i sat with it the more i liked it um it just didn't make my top 10 but uh, i do think it's a very interesting look at because so many people uh fantasize that idea of like the hitman the cool guy whatever and it's such a cool look at what that really means you know and what Mm -hmm. that really means for a person um so yeah didn't make my top 10 but an incredible movie didn't make my top 10 either but uh also an honorable mention for me i I really liked the killer i'll also just briefly touch on the killer um it's number 12 for me uh but yeah no i mean you know, before the killer came out, I just went on a like a Fincher rewatch, and you know the killer is, isn't probably. I don't think it's up there in terms of Fincher, but like you know, usually when you watch these hitman movies, like the hitman is always like on his shit. You know, like he's always mm-hmm. like the best of the best. 
and you know the opening like 20 minutes of this he talks like he is and then he fucks up his first assignment yeah. <laughs> and then yeah no it's it's just hilarious um, proceeds to do internal so, like, dialogue like three times throughout the movie as well he's like yeah he, he just blows it all the time yeah which is yeah it's it's hilarious yeah, I, I really liked it, and I, I I said on our pod when when Wesley and I talked about it too, like the movie works really well as a comedy if you're able to like lean into that like weird kind of humor that it's getting at. Like, it's a pretty funny movie. Um, so yeah, that's one that I really really liked, and the more I think about it, the more it kind of climbs up the ranks. But for me, it it was locked in at number fifteen. So mm-hmm. really liked it, just a little bit shy of the list. I think um, another oh sorry another no, one I wanted to mention was um Creed three. I'm not a huge sports movie guy, but this year I have seen potentially the greatest sports movies I will ever watch, I think. Um, Creed Three being one of them. I think it's such a cool story. I think it's um, such a... Michael B. Jordan just looks so fucking cool in the ring, all ready to go. Like It's just an incredible uh, movie. And yeah, I'm not a big sports movie guy, but that one really stood out for me this year. Agreed. And Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut... I'm excited to exactly. see more from him as a director and as an actor. Um, tra- tragically, Jonathan Majors is leading in that movie opposite of him, and we will mm-hmm. not be seeing much more of him, I don't think. But uh, just a great movie all around. I really, really enjoyed Creed Three. Yeah, no, depending on when this podcast comes out, we will have already seen his Good Morning America interview, which is dropping on Monday. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, you guys didn't know that? Oh, man. I did he, not. he hasn't... Okay, you guys need to look up um, <laughs> because they put out a teaser for it, and no. Twitter's tw- Twitter is having a field day with this because no. it straight up looks like a scene from either Tropic Thunder or The Boys, and it is so funny. Like they have they have the movie trailer guy, um, you know the movie trailer guy. No voice. way. They have him talk over it, and he's like, <laughs> "No way." He speaks out for the first time after assaulting his ex girlfriend. I'm like, "What the." <laughs> is this bro are you serious life imitates art and art imitates life it's one vicious cycle if you had asked me in march what jonathan major's career was gonna look like i would have given you a very different answer than his good morning america interview being the biggest thing of the year it's so crazy i can't believe this but but yeah so that's that's nuts um another honorable mention for me i'm gonna have to just throw bottoms on here i really loved this movie. Io Edabiri and uh, Rachel Sennett. It's the most absurd comedy of the year. I know that like this is a movie that is like very, very prevalent in like the gay community. Like I've heard a lot of friends of mine talking about it and just saying it's like their favorite movie of the year. It's just extremely high concept comedy. It's a, a deeply absurd. It's got a very committed cast the entire movie. Um, probably the hardest I laughed in a theater this year. And like the whole crowd I saw it with too was just losing their shit throughout the entire movie. It's like it's like gay fight club, you know, that's really just the best way to describe it. And that's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty hilarious and it just barely missed making my top ten. I, I loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Wesley, you saw Bottoms, did you? I did. Uh it, it may or may not have snuck its way into my top uh, ten. So Okay. Ooh, ooh. Okay. Um and then also I'm just I want to throw um, honorable mention for the Iron Claw, which I'm sure we'll probably end up talking about during this episode. But oh yeah, absolutely loved mm-hmm. that movie, and it just barely like it's it's number eleven for me, so it's right behind Talk to Me. Um, I loved it, and I can I can sing its praises. But when anyone on here maybe perhaps talks about it, I will I will chime in as well and, and speak a little bit more on it. 
Sure. I'm going to do one more. I'm going to toss a documentary on here. Um, still, the Michael J. Fox mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Very good stuff. Um, it's like top 20. I think it's 18 for me. No, it is 18. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> but Dude, no, I, I'm just like... 18 for me as well, actually. Yeah, no. I mean, Michael J. Fox, like Back to the Future is like some of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and yeah, no, it, the, the doc, like there's just one final shot in it where... He has to, uh, like, I don't know. The, the ending is very emotional. You know what I'm saying? And uh, his whole story is, you know, it's it's nuts. But, yeah, I I love Still. It's a good doc. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. The ending of that. I, we watched that during a power outage. Me and my roommate watched it. Like, like we fired it up on the laptop. We had downloaded it to his Apple TV. Just completely dark house watching it on a laptop. And I was, I was pretty emotional by the ending of it. It's really affecting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Especially if you have any, like, you don't even need to have a connection to Michael J. Fox as an actor to to enjoy it because it's really just, like, a pretty important story. Um, but at the same point in time, if you have any connection to him as an actor, it will guaranteed have you have you sobbing by the ending of it. All right. Do you guys want me to kick off the, the top ten movies of the year? Does anyone else want to start? I, uh, are we starting from the bottom to the top? Yeah, ten, 10 to 1. Yeah, let's do bottom and top. Well, yeah. fitting enough, I'll start uh, because we literally just talked about this. At the bottom of my list is bottoms. Um, it's I <laughs> had to throw this one in here uh, just at the very end because I when I first saw this movie, I was kind of like iffy about it, but I came around on it and it's realized it's just such a fun, um, such a fun like coming of age story. And as absurd as it is at times, it also has this like such a great heart to it at the center of the story and such uh, interesting characters to spend time with as well. So I just, I really did love this movie and I did have a fun time with it. Um, but yeah, it just snuck its way in at the bottom of my list. Funnily enough. It's, yeah. It's absolutely hilarious. List placement, list placement. Um, yeah. yeah. We really loved Shiva baby. And I think we've, we've sung that movie's praises quite a bit on this podcast for the last few years when it, mm-hmm. since we, since we saw it. And so I've just been waiting to see what Emma Seligman does next. And whenever she teams up with, with Rachel Sennett, I'm like, yep, it's going to work. You know, like mm-hmm. they just have a very good like relationship as director and as a lead actress. And I'm just down for whatever they decide to do, because every time they've made a movie so far, like I've ended up like not just liking it, but loving it. And like you said, yeah, the movie does have a real heart to it because it's so absurd and ridiculous. But it is a really good story of, of friendship at the end of the day. Yeah, and when I when I watch this movie, um, I very much it like very much reminds me of, uh, like when I was a kid watching those coming of age movies where it's like a bunch of guys, you know, like it's, uh, Project X or whatever. So, um, seeing it done this way, it makes so much sense. Having like the two lesbian best friends, uh, going through high school, being awkward and stuff, um, and I just thought it was a really fun movie. Um, and very much harking back to those like teen goofy, silly comedy coming of age movies that I used to watch when I was younger. So it, um, it reminds me a lot of like, have you seen not another teen movie? No, it's just like the kind of like absurd, like almost sad, like satirical, like teen movie, like high school movies. And it, it feels like a good blend of like taking itself a little seriously but also being so ridiculous that it's like kind of parody yeah it does a really good job at balancing that line of yeah. not too silly that it's just all goofy and not too serious that it can't make fun of itself yeah agreed i, I love bottoms it's a good pick 
Joe. There's a blind spot for me. I haven't seen Bottoms. You should I check it out. I will watch it. It's I think it fun. might be on Prime. But yeah, I think we'll it see. is, yeah. Good way to yeah. to just have a chill evening and just laugh your ass off. Like sit on the couch and just watch that with a beer. Like it it's a great time. There's a there's a one of my favorite scenes is they're on a football field and a sword just like appears out of nowhere. It's hilarious. <laughs> I I think it was in the theater and I went, What? Uh, the movie so doesn't even give you time to question it. It's just like the sword is here now it's here. and it's crazy shit's about to happen with it. It's wild. But uh that's a good one. Joe, what's your what's that's your number insane. ten? My number 10, um, I actually watched for the first time after, so, so I posted a, a top 10 of 2023 to, to Instagram and it was, I think it was on New Year's Eve. So it was like, I hadn't watched any other movies, didn't have time to watch any other movies. Um, but this was a 2023 release and I snuck it into the top 10 on my letterbox page anyway. Um, but it's the holdovers. Um, I'm not super, super familiar with like Alexander Payne movies. But uh, this one was just really emotionally affecting because, you know, especially when you watch this around the holiday season, because I, I would, like I think you guys would agree this is a Christmas movie, you know, mm-hmm. and when Christmas you movie. when you guys think about Christmas movies, it's almost like, oh, yeah, you're going to go to like Home Alone. You think about Elf, you think about all the like the happy go lucky Christmas movies. But this is like like and you also see whenever people post online about like, oh, like sometimes people have a hard time through the holidays. I feel like this movie has those people in mind that have a tough time during the holidays and they're just trying to get through it, you know? Yeah. So, um, that's what I really liked about it. And it's, it has, you know, Christmas songs aside, I think it's probably one of my favorite, um, movie soundtracks of the year. There are a lot of songs on there that I just, you know, I like the more mellow, uh, you know, guitar, piano, all that stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it's great. It, yeah. Like it's right in that kind of like 70s soft rock era of music. And so they use a mm-hmm. lot of that. I totally agree. I've got this one on my list too. But yeah, when I first saw this movie, I described it the same way that it's um, definitely a Christmas movie for people who uh, have a tough time during Christmas, whether it's family or just like bad memories or whatever. <clears throat> like it's very much just that kind of movie where um, through all that, the awful things that are happening or through all the loss or sadness that comes to these characters, there's still this like heartwarming story in the middle of it that um, kind of gives it that Christmas movie turnaround on it, you know, but mm-hmm. I love this movie. I thought it was incredible. Yeah, I did too. I'm saving my piece for it for, for later. I will definitely have some more to say about it, but yeah, I've been listening to that song silver joy from the movie, like just constantly um, since, since I saw it, it's just a great, it's like the, the song that plays throughout the first couple of few minutes of the movie where you're just seeing the snow hitting the campus. Um, incredible stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll save, save it. It's for a really good but. song. Yeah, no, I love that song. Um, then there's one more, and this is a band that I've like listened to before I've seen the movie. I can't, I can't pronounce it, but it's like, I want to try. I think it's like, uh, Kru- bin or something like that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, they, they that song plays uh like when they're in boston it's just like a instrumental but it's nice yeah Yeah. great movie and it it will be resurfacing later in in our lists i think um for me my number 10 is uh is hayao miyazaki's the boy and the heron a movie that when i first watched it i didn't really have all my like ideas formed on it and i honestly came out of it like a little underwhelmed for the first like hour and then the, like on my drive home, I just started processing everything and thinking about it and realizing that this movie works so well because it's kind of like it's like a unity of like all his other movies. Like there's pieces of My Neighbor Totoro in there. There's pieces of Spirited Away in there. There's pieces of stuff like The Wind Rises in there. 
Um, it really just feels like a, a melting pot of like all of his previous work. And what better way to end your career than to come back, make a movie that is like kind of your story. Like he said that a lot of him is in the lead character of this movie. And uh, like what better way to than to tell like a not autobiographical, but somewhat kind of autobiographical movie as much as Hayao Miyazaki can do so. Um, and then, and also have it like touch and, and play around with so many of his other works of art um, throughout, throughout his career. Yeah, I agree. I, this one's going to come back up later for me, but I'll say my piece about it right now. Um, yeah. I thought this was incredible. I just watched this recently. Um, and there's, there's definitely a lot of themes that I I'm missing. Um, I, I kind of just accepted that going into this movie that I don't think I didn't think I was going to fully understand it. But I think what I really got from the core of it that made me put it in my top 10 was just it's such like a beautiful look at I, I really focused in on the main character and how uh, Mahito, how he just reacts to the rest of the world and what losing his mother at such a young age did to him. And uh, the lost time that he feels that he never got with his mother and the the willingness that he is to go through this crazy world that he's never known before just for the maybe the chance. Like, he isn't even sure that she's there. He has a huge feeling that it's alive, but just for the chance to maybe get her back or maybe to see her again, that's all that matters to him. And it's such this interesting dive on this character who uh, probably from a young age having no mother has become just like this stone cold um just like turning trying to turn into a man at such a young age because he's got no one else to look at other than his father mm -hmm. um and so it's such a i think just such a beautiful story of this uh kid going on this crazy adventure to only to maybe see his mother again you know mm -hmm. um so i thought it was a beautiful movie and uh just like also the I got to shout out the very first scene when he's running through the fire. That looks Insane. so incredible. Oh my God. I was sitting in the theater, like blown away just by the visuals of this movie. Um, and the music too is, is just amazing as always. So I took it as a personal attack that this movie didn't play an IMAX around us. Yeah. Because that's it, upsetting. It's, it's the first Ghibli movie, I believe to play IMAX um, in most places. And we just, we have an IMAX theater didn't get this movie in IMAX. You know what we did get? Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. It's just, it's it's very L. cruel, and it, it hurts my soul. Um, but nevertheless, yeah. This, that's this, a fat L for sure. It's the biggest L we it's take. <laughs> <laughs> we endure, we carry on, but damn. Um, <laughs> no, this movie just, yeah, kind of blew me away, and it's just absolutely beautiful. Like you said, Wes, like, there's a lot of themes that I still haven't fully even wrapped my head around, but, like, grief loss and acceptance of loss I think was honestly the biggest one for me mm -hmm. which is just like you know he's he's given this world where he can be be with his mom and she's like a kid and he gets to like know her on a deeper level but ultimately he you know without spoiling anything it's kind of a, a realization of acceptance of like this isn't my life um and it, it's a very powerful story that has all the things that you love about a Ghibli movie which is like crazy visuals good food and weird little creatures you know that's, that's all you can ask yeah um are we talking number nines now are we gonna move on to number nines yeah we can okay so i just wanted to say that like boy and the heron is my number nine um Boom. so everything you guys said i mean just touch on the technical elements like i i, I think 2d animation is goaded and um like you said wesley the the fire scene is 
like what they did with that is something that I don't think I've ever seen in a Ghibli movie. So good. Uh, so that was amazing. Voice acting is, of course, incredible. I mean, Robert Pattinson as the Heron is just stunning. <laughs> I can't believe he he pulled that out. But dude, um, dude, when he when he gives it over to that character, I was like, like, there's no way that he's actually going for it like this. Like, he's really given it as the as the Heron. Yeah. Um, yeah. Insane performance. Yeah, and I was just like, what the, f-? like, no fucking way that's him. But anyways, um, you know, and the usage of, like, I loved, like, the little, um, I think they're called the Wara Waras. Like, yeah. if there's anything, if there's anything about a Ghibli movie, it's that Miyazaki's going to put in some little guys into his movie. <laughs> and the Wara Waras are great. And um, the parakeets are just, like, absolutely sinister. And, you know, yeah. that that sinister and it's just hilarious. But... Like you guys said, uh, I loved the um, the story, like with this being just about the relationship with his mom, and um, you know, I feel like the the final, like in the third act of the movie when he decides, like, oh, you can have this world, or like you can accept this one with its flaws, and it's, it's just that message, like, you know, uh, lots of people won't be where they are if it wasn't for all that hardship, you know, mm-hmm. so. So yeah, I think that that really drives the film home, and yeah, it's awesome. Like it's probably not my favorite, like it's not top of the, it's not top shelf Ghibli for me, but um, but it's still very good stuff. I I would agree, but even for me, like when it's like not top shelf Ghibli is still like one of the most exquisite. It's still very good. The it's a yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I'm also pissed that like. I have IMAX theaters around me and it wasn't in IMAX. Like we got, it's like you said, we got Aquaman and we got the Marvels and that's pretty much it. (laughs) It's just a tremendous pain. I have no idea what we did to deserve this. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Incredible movie. Honestly, like I've thought about maybe we should do another like separate pod on it and just talk a little bit more about Ghibli. We've done a Ghibli episode before, but that was when we were kind of discovering Ghibli a few years ago. And now I'm at a point Mm -hmm. in my life where I think I've seen like most Ghibli movies. Um, so I'd love to like kind of revisit his filmography mm-hmm. with, with this one in mind. Um, I can do my number nine. My number nine, uh, is John wick four. Um, this movie is one of the best action movies of the year. Um, and uh, who's surprised? Not me. Uh, this movie was just so incredible to view. Like so many movies put me on the edge of my seat because of like, characters emotions or like big epic scenes this one has me on the edge of my seat because for the entire movie because all it is is non-stop action um just like the the shots that were done in this movie the stunts that were pulled off in this movie the hand-to-hand combat that was in this movie it's it's just like peak um action movie to me and i I thought this was just such an incredible uh uh, action movie for me this year Mm mm-hmm it is also on my list, but it'll it'll pop up a little bit, a little bit later in there. Um, yeah, no, it's it's on my list. <laughs> it's on my list. One of the best action movies I've ever seen, if not like the best action movie I've ever seen. I honestly like Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning was fantastic, and I actually feel like my viewing experience of that movie suffered because I loved John Wick so much. Like I was like, you know, this is great action, but it's not John Wick Chapter Four. Like that, mm-hmm. like. And I think I compared every action, like unfairly, admittedly, but I think I compared every action movie to John Wick 4 because I've just never had such an intense high watching an action movie before. Like it, it really throws you into it. And yeah, I have some more to say about it later on. 
the the greatest scene for me is the stair scene i i think that's my favorite scene um just like him getting all the way to the top and then getting pushed right back down to the bottom again is like fuck like, here we oh, go fuck. And, <laughs> like, it's like you gotta go through that again all right but you don't feel spited about the fact that you have to go through it again you're like fuck it run it again let's yeah, do it right. yeah <laughs> no, that's great yeah fantastic um is it my it's my turn right yeah okay yeah uh, my number nine is is Killers of the Flower Moon, a movie that for a while held like top five. It was really up there, and then throughout the month of December, I just saw so much incredible shit that like completely messed up the list that I had built for like most of 2023. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon is like a deconstruction of everything that Martin Scorsese has done as a director, and we we did a whole episode on it and kind of talked about. It's, it's Oscar potential and, and why it's such an interesting film in his filmography. But he's at a point in his life as a director where he doesn't feel the need to to live by his directorial style. He's willing to just make a, a movie and kind of completely defy the conventions of what people know his filmography to be. Um, while also still having a lot of pieces of what people love about him as a director intact. In it's a, a deeply important story about American history. I feel like one that doesn't get talked about as much as it should. Like it's, I, I kind of learned about it from this movie and I think that's deeply sad and shows America's very good at, at burying, burying its history. And I think it's cool to have a director who's done so many crime movies throughout his career kind of go back to the very beginning and condemn America for the evil atrocities that they've committed throughout, throughout time. Um, incredible, incredible film. It just, I only put it at number nine because some of the stuff as we get higher up is like some of my favorite shit I've seen in a long time, but mm-hmm. just absolutely great stuff from one of our best living directors. Yeah. Great movie. And I think a great example of, uh, the, the victors write the history books. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so not in my top 10, but an incredible movie. Yeah. It is in mine, but we'll get there. We'll get <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, number eight uh i'll do i'll start with number eight my number eight is uh evil dead rise um i had to throw this one in here because yeah uh this is i think one of the first horror movies in a while that's made me feel genuinely scared um so Mm. a huge thing i look for in horror movies is do i actually feel scared in this moment and the way that this movie um like has the family manipulation but also just like the buckets of blood and horror and gore like i was genuinely terrified watching this movie and i i seek that in horror movies because i feel like these days they don't scare me as much anymore um but this one just ah so incredible such good action such good um just like creepy scenes like the one that still will stick in my head i think forever is when the one of the kids eats the like light bulb or whatever the cup and the glass sticks out mm-hmm. through their neck mm-hmm. oh ugh, it gives me shivers even thinking about it so i had to throw this one on there because i was like this movie uh stuck with me all year is i think my favorite horror movie of the year i fucking love that you put it here and i feel so ashamed that me mr evil dead wow did not yeah <laughs> what's, what's wow. up with that um i i adored this movie in fact when i was doing my honorable mentions it was like one shy from like being actually included and in, i just didn't want to linger too long on honorable mentions to be honest with you but this is in my top 25 i think it's like 16 or something like that i adored this movie i think it's as good as a new evil dead movie can be in the year of 2023 yeah um it's honestly the best thing that's come from the franchise in, in quite some time so and also it's got like 
it still has that slapsticky like sense of humor with Evil Dead's gore while also being like much more nefarious and mean spirited with it. Yeah, I feel like it's uh it's really nailing what some of the the original movies tried to do with that like awful manipulation of like oh it's your girlfriend that gets possessed or like it's whatever you know um and i think they really nail that with like this family dynamic uh and it just the ending of the movie you feel so just like dead inside but also so happy you've watched it like i was like that was incredible but i feel awful about myself um and that's what i'm looking for in horror movies make me feel gross make me feel bad make me feel scared that's the point Exactly. Um, so one of my favorite cinematic experiences of the year, though, I saw this with my dad, and my dad and I just love Evil Dead. That's I think one of our our biggest things that we have in common. He got me hooked on that franchise at a, at a young age, and um, we we spent most of the year just counting down for the new Evil Dead movie. And I went up to my parents' place, I stayed the night, and then the next day we saw Evil Dead Rise, and it was just an incredible, incredible night. It was really fun. So mm-hmm. great, great pick. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, Evil Dead Rise, another blind spot for me. And um, honestly, horror in general, I, I should be better about this. But um, yeah, horror is just a genre that's that's blind spot for me. But I will say that because, uh, you know, being on film Twitter and stuff, uh, one of the coolest things that I've seen about it, like without having seen the movie, probably one of the coolest title cards ever oh, <laughs> in a movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Now the only reason yeah. I got into horror is because of Hayden. Um, so I totally, I totally understand that. Next uh, spooky season when it comes around, great watch. Yeah, worth checking out for sure. Even if you have no connection to the franchise, it's it's a great standalone. It works well even if you don't really know much about Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe. Um, okay, number eight, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay, so in a tough year for the MCU. Uh, and just like a, they, they've had a rough go at it. Period. Just, just one film stands above the rest. <laughs> so this past year, I re- number eight. I really liked Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. I yeah. think it's my favorite. Uh, I think it's my favorite of the trilogy. Um, just tons of heart. Like I mean, crying over a CGI raccoon is fucking crazy. It's power of cinema. But um, yeah, it's power of cinema, baby. Um, yeah, James Gunn. Like I'm looking forward to what he does with his DC DC universe, but he really knocked it out of the park with this. And for a while, like when I when I first stepped out of this movie, I was like, "Is this the best MCU trilogy?" And in my head, I was like, "Nah, there's no way." Like I, I like Captain America trilogy way too much for this to be the best. But thinking on it more, like if if you think about it objectively, it's probably the only trilogy that actually feels like it has a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm -hmm. Because like with the Cap trilogy, like there's like ramifications that like it has to like connect into into like Infinity War because the Avengers break up at the end of that movie and they're not like together to fight Thanos in Infinity War, you know. So and, you know, some characters from Cap uh they're obviously gonna they continued on you know so but with this it's like the guardians of the galaxy like this is the end of that team you know like it's like the team's just not the same after this film Mm -hmm. and uh yeah no like per usual it has kick-ass music um probably one of the best uh like excluding daredevil since it's like canon now um this is probably has the best I think action sequence, like one shot action sequence in that hallway set, oh, that, yeah. that hallway fight. Beastie Boys plan, yeah, yeah. No, that's like you know technically that I think 
the MCU hasn't done anything like that before, you know? So mm-hmm. just really good stuff. And, and yeah, that's number eight for me. Yeah. This one's going to pop up again on my list later, but I'll just say my piece about it. Now I totally agree with everything you're saying, Joe. This is like, um, I think this movie is made better because of the two movies before it, but I think the two movies before it are not as good as the third one. If that makes Mm -hmm. any sense. Um, I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, the other day I was cleaning my room and I was like, I'll just throw it on just as a nice background movie. I sat and watched the whole thing. I did not clean my room. I couldn't stop watching it. Um, It's just, uh, I love to see a movie that is all about superheroes, not focus on the action and focus on these these characters and their story and their journey that they've made throughout the past movies because like you were saying so many of the superheroes we see yeah they have trilogies but the story continues on this does Mm -hmm. feel like one of the few moments where the story is really done um and the mcu isn't going to keep trying to suck it dry you know uh, at least we hope so. It's it's worth noting yeah. that the only character who it says at the very ending, it says Star Lord will return. Not not everyone else. Exactly. Know? And that's not yeah. surprising. But um I yeah, I do truly think that this is uh the best trilogy, superhero trilogy that the MCU has made. And that's all thanks to James Gunn too. Like, I mean, he he knows what he's doing. So I, I did really love this movie and I think it it is the best superhero movie of the year. Or actually, mm. I take that back. Uh, it's not, <laughs> but it's close. <laughs> I saw you catch yourself there. You're like, ah, oh, shit, never mind, but close. It's um, close. I, I adored this movie. It didn't make my list, but I, I cried. Um, the ending with Dog Days Are Over, come on. Like, it's just magic. Yeah. Like, that, one of the most exciting moments I've, I've had in a movie theater. Like, it is easily one of the, I think it honestly, the more I think about it, it's like top three MCU movies. Like, it's gotta be like right up there. Like, Leave it to the man permanently leaving Marvel to save Marvel before Marvel just drops <laughs> right back into the shitter. Like, it, it, I came out of that movie, I was like, we are so back. And, you know, Joe and I talked about this on, on the last pod we did together, but that's, that's a, a shifting feeling with Marvel. You're constantly like, we are so back. And then the next time you see a Marvel movie, you're like, we are so toast. It's so mm-hmm. over. Uh, Guardians 3 is, is magic. It's just incredible. James Gunn is so good at superhero movies and understanding the characters while also giving them fun, ridiculous lines of dialogue and cool moments of action. Mm. Yeah. It's so good. And the last thing I'll kind of say about it is I, yeah, the soundtrack incredible. Uh, uh, in the meantime, um, by space, oh, yes. that mm-hmm, was my mm-hmm. number one song on Spotify for the year and my Spotify rap number one right there. So Come on. And also before this, as I made the list, before I was going to the pod, I was singing creep to myself and I was like, fuck, this movie is so good. Everybody who works out in the like following month after Guardians 3 was just in the gym like. No, man, I would have been pumping it to uh, we care a lot. Yeah. Down, down, down. Oh, yeah. That, that's a pretty good one to, to work out to for sure. Mm. Yeah. Also, just one of the funniest lines of the year with uh, with Peter Quill. Just open the fucking door. Um, <laughs> oh. think, think about it a lot. Oh, my God. Wait, I have to really quickly. Something I forgot to say about the the holdovers um, is that uh, one of my favorite lines comes from the holdovers from any movie I've seen all year. It's when the guy goes, you are the human embodiment of penis cancer. That was the Great funniest stuff. line in <laughs> all of movies I've seen all year. I burst out laughing when that happened. Sorry, this just popped in my head. No, it's great stuff. You're right. That's an incredible line. Um, yeah, Guardians, Guardians 3. I'm super excited to see what James Gunn does with DC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my turn, right? Yeah. 
cool. Yeah. Uh, number eight for me is John Wick Chapter Four. Um, dude, Sick. we get an overhead scene of him walking around with a fire shotgun, like incredible. I am but a man, and if you put that on a, on an <laughs> IMAX screen in front of me, I I'm gonna lose my shit. Like it's just the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, seeing that movie in IMAX, I think, is honestly what elevates it so much to like the the standard I'm holding it to. The opening scene where he's punching in that in that you know makeshift gym was like uncomfortably loud. I was like, I kind of want to like leave. This is like way too much. But you don't leave. You sit through it. You endure it, and you are in for one of the most balls to the wall action experiences known to man. Um, Keanu Reeves says like four words in this movie. I don't care. (laughs) Like I'm unbothered by it. It's just I I. We've talked about this movie, I think, on a whole episode. So if you want to hear my in-depth thoughts on that, check check that episode out. But John Wick Chapter 4 is just pure energy. It's so exciting. Every scene is trying to one-up itself in the most insane of ways. Like you said, Wesley, once you get to the staircase scene, you're just like, this movie could do anything, and I'm just I'm here for it. Yeah. Incredible stuff. And just a, a lot of um, love letters to like action cinema throughout this mm-hmm. movie. Like You get a lot of references and visual references and, and stuff that just kind of tie it together to like he just it's Chad Stileski who directed this right mm-hmm. yeah or Stahelski. Stahelski, yeah. yeah he just knows what he's doing and you can tell he has a lot of love for the craft of like action filmmaking and like stunts and this movie just commits to it all practically and it's one of the most exciting things you can watch in it on the big screen I think because of it yeah yeah I agree yeah you know, it's like, what more is there to say about it? If you haven't seen it, check it out. The movie just absolutely rocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, moving on to number seven. I'm just going to really quickly get mine out of the way. We already talked about it. Uh, my number seven is The Boy and the Heron. Um, great movie. Uh, like I said, I, I just kind of love this beautiful story. And I also can't wait for a rewatch. Something I didn't mention was I actually watched it in Japanese because uh, it was the only one that was playing in theaters. So I can't wait to watch the version and hear Robert Pattinson go crazy as the Heron. Like, oh, it's going to be so good. That that he does. Yeah, that he does. I actually, I haven't seen it in Japanese. I saw it in English mainly because I wanted to see Robert Pattinson just go nuts. And so uh, I'm excited to see it in Japanese on the like opposite side of you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Joe. I'm next. Okay. Uh, what are we? Seven, right? Yep. Um, my number seven is Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, really, like Hayden, you said earlier how he kind of, how Scorsese kind of leaves his like typical style of filmmaking, which he does, but like, I feel like there are moments, like, especially when the movie starts, um, because if there's something that you like hear and know about Scorsese movies is his love for like like 60s 70s rock and that first opening song you know with that that Robbie Robertson score with like the the guitar and that that beating drum it's like this this feels like a Scorsese movie right now you know mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. but then it just like after that like upbeat score it just like the music just changes in some of the most devastating shit you've heard in your life. And that's, that's just the movie in general, you know? Um, I really like how, uh, like the ending is pretty divisive. I think when it's just, uh, when Scorsese has his crazy cameo, but I think it works for overall what he's trying to do because like for him as a filmmaker, it's like, it's like commentary on how, you know, white dudes will, take these stories and like put their own spin on it. So it was like a self-reflection on his part, you know? Absolutely. Um, 
But yeah, no, and Lily Gladstone, um, mm. amazing. Give her the Oscar. And yeah, give her the Oscar. Well, give her the Oscar. You know what? I was all on the give Lily Gladstone the Oscar train until I saw Poor Things, and then I was like, "Fuck, <laughs> oh, fuck, man!" Um, really complicated my feelings on it. Um, one thing I do want to mention about this movie, uh, fun little Easter egg that I forgot to mention was um, so Hayden and I, and a couple of friends of ours, we recently went on a trip to New York, and while we were in New York, we went to this theater called the Birdland Jazz Club and saw this guy Vince Giordano and the Nighthawks. Um, just going to see them because they were like the Monday Night Band or whatever. Uh, and turns out they had done a song for this movie. Three songs. Uh, three songs. Three songs for this yeah. movie. Wow. Uh, specifically that scene where everyone's kind of in the middle of town having that big dance party in like Act 3 and there's just like a bunch of stuff happening around. Uh, they made that song. Uh, but yeah, cool little Easter egg that we didn't even know when we went to go see the guy. But he was like, yeah, we're going to play the song right now. And we all went, huh? I, I can't explain That's the feeling awesome. of when... When he said, yeah, we're going to play a song we made for Martin Scorsese's new movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. I was like, what the fuck? I thought we were just at a random jazz show. <laughs> yeah. um, very electric moment in, in New York City. That's why New York rocks so much. You just sit down for a random jazz show, and it's like the guy who composed for Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff. He also did uh, The that Aviator is really cool. by Martin Scorsese as well. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, um, loved it. Um, maybe just, a you know, tad too long like i i can think of like as funny as like the paddling scene was i'm like we probably could have trimmed this down and like maybe done like some osage like more osage stuff you know yeah i said but uh, um, i think after watching it i said to hayden i was like i think that movie could have been 30 minutes less or like 20 minutes less um so i kind of agree with you there that maybe it could have been cut down a bit and i i also yeah. agree that i would have loved to see more osage stuff too yeah but incredible yeah, i movie. agree yeah. um good stuff good stuff my turn now. Okay. My number, we're on number six now, right? Seven. Seven. Yes. Okay. Seven. My number seven, Godzilla minus one. Mm. Um, dude, I, I didn't know much about this movie aside from like, Joe, I saw you post it on your story and everybody started freaking out about this movie randomly and everybody's like, it's one of the greatest things you'll see this year. I, knew, I had very little knowledge on it. Sat down in the theater. Was absolutely blown away by this movie. I found myself emotional. It had some of the most riveting action I've seen this year, and it catches you so off guard. There's a scene where somebody is on like a uh, like a subway or like a train. Godzilla picks that shit up, and she's like hanging from it in the air, um, and it's just insane. Like I was like breathless. A lot of these moments in the movie completely caught me off guard with just how exciting they were. And it's even more incredible when you find out that this movie's budget was fifteen million dollars. Most Godzilla movies cost like 250 and they look like dog shit. And this movie <laughs> this movie looks incredible and it it's like such a tiny percentage of what a lot of other Godzilla movies cost. But beyond that, it is easily my favorite interpretation of Godzilla as a as like a being. He is so pissed off and angry and just such a like he's just a bulldozer, like a walking force of destruction. And um I think these movies just work a lot more when they're set in the aftermath of of the new, of the atomic bomb when they're set in the aftermath of, of world war two. Um, I just think that's where Godzilla stories make the most sense and where like you can really see what they're getting at with like the metaphor. And I, I just found myself watching this movie thinking like this is a perfect Godzilla movie and I don't know if anyone can ever do any better. It has incredible characters with incredible payoff and just throughout the entire runtime I was, my job was on the floor. And when I left the theater, I was like, 
it's very rare that I immediately I'm like five out of five, like no hesitation, five out of five. But Godzilla minus one, I stood up instantly went on Letterbox. I was like, that's a perfect movie, man. That is like everything I'm looking for from from a Godzilla movie. It's got emotion, it's got crazy action, and it's just an absolutely pissed off monster. It's it's great. No, yeah, it didn't. Uh, so initially, when I posted my top ten. Um, Godzilla minus one was my number 10. Um, but no, I just, everything you said, Hayden, the, the human characters feels like they actually matter. Like you, you can get behind the human characters and you don't get much of that in like, like recent monster movies. Um, and I just love the use of the original Godzilla theme. You know, <laughs> that shit was crazy. Every time it comes out, uh, it's like, damn man. Like they did, they did yeah. it. They did it so perfectly. Yeah, so Godzilla minus one, awesome. I uh, haven't watched this one actually yet, but I'm so excited to watch it because I think my favorite Godzilla movie is the original Godzilla movie uh, that really focuses on um, like the environmental effects of what uh, it's way more focused on the people and uh, how their nuclear bombing is like messing up everything and like seeing this movie and just knowing that it's more about the people and less about the monster and more about like how all these after effects of like the war and all these things are affecting these people and how they live. I, I'm sure it's going to be incredible. I, it would be in my top 10 if I had seen it, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to watch it. He's just like so disgustingly nuclear in this movie, like his blue laser beam that he usually does. And it's like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Um, when he does it in this movie, you're like, every time you're like gripping your, your seat. Like it is like, that that blue laser beam is the scariest shit in the world when it when it happens in this movie cuz it's it's not a laser beam without spoiling it like it's like it's like a fucking nuke and well exactly um, it's pure radiation it's just pure so. radiation and i think that's why godzilla works so much better when he's set in like 1940s japan is because it's like it's like an ang it's like the earth reacting to the terrible shit that we did to it at that time period and it's like it's it's just incredible stuff it just makes so much sense because the first one was literally uh them making a movie about the effects of like the nagasaki and like these awful atomic bombs that affect them um and so it just makes so much sense that it works better when we're focusing on the actual um like environmental and the actual effects that this is going to cause on the people and not when it's big lizard fight big monkey like i remember when godzilla versus kong <laughs> came out that's what hayden and i kept saying when we went to see the movie we were like big monkey versus big lizard and now it's like let's take a deep dive and introspectively look at how the people of japan will be affected uh due to nuclear radiation you know I, that's a better movie i'll tell you this i saw this movie and then the next day i went to see another movie and the trailer for godzilla x kong the new empire came on <laughs> and yeah. it's like it's like Godzilla and fucking Kong broing it up as they like charge at like the threat. Like I'm like this is so stupid. And I'm going to see it and it's going to be fun. But like it just makes you feel a little sick to your stomach when you see the power of Godzilla as like a vessel for storytelling and then you're like, "Yeah, bro monkey and bro lizard are going to fucking destroy uh, uh, the opposition." Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's wild. No, yeah. Like uh for for some reason Kong has the infinity gauntlet on and for some reason God Godzilla is pink but Godzilla being pink is actually so funny because he's like literally like he he's literally Barbenheimer you know yeah. like, <laughs> oh no pink pink Godzilla is literally Barbenheimer so that that shit's crazy um but one last thing on Godzilla minus 1 uh 
something that movies do that I think, you know, have done well is can be really affecting is just the idea of found family and, you know, that mm. the characters have that in this movie. And in Guardians of the Galaxy, that's that's like their whole deal, you know, but I think Godzilla minus one definitely uh does it well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I Wesley, once you've seen that, I'd imagine we're going to have a lot more to say about it. Oh, yeah. Like a boy in the hair and Godzilla minus one double feature or some shit. Dude, I want to do a I want to do a Godzilla minus one and original Godzilla pod. I'd Done. love to talk about them Done. together because I think that'd be so good. Um, all right. Number six. Number six. Uh, my number six is the Iron Claw. Um, Hell yeah! This movie was incredible. Uh, the best sports movie I've watched this year. Um, it's just so good. I love. Uh, not only are the performances are incredible, like Zac Efron killing it, um, and jacked as hell. Whoa, the dude is like, you can see the veins popping out. It's crazy. Um, Jeremy Allen White said that he went to set and he was like actively mad at Zac Efron because he's like, dude, I'm so jacked and you make me look like nothing. Yeah, <laughs> like <it's-> literally. <laughs> um, but such incredible performances from all the actors. But not only that, it's just I love the story um, of this man who missed out on his dreams and is essentially trying to live them out through his kids. Um, and that ultimately ends up just destroying his family. But it's it's such this interesting, like, not only is it this cool, like, oh, WWE, like, wrestling, whoa, crazy stuff, but, like, a very good look at behind the scenes and the realities of this um, this life that they live and all this stuff. Uh, and it's a tragic story for the family in real life, and they really do a good job, I think, um, in the movie, honoring that and uh, showing how, like, their family got torn apart and it's very sad, but it's also just such an incredibly emotional and moving movie in my, in my uh, opinion. And also too, I got it. I got a shout out. Maybe the best needle drop um, in a sports yes. movie when Tom Sawyer plays. Yeah. Oh, my dad used to make me listen to Tom Sawyer and rush as a kid. I've seen them live three times. Like oh, hearing that needle drop, I went berserk. Um, it was in dudes rock, Dude, dudes rock, dudes, dudes rock. rock. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, uh, I will, uh, if I ever have to like, for some reason, if I ever end up in one of those rings fighting someone, Tom Sawyer will be my song. On. I walk out to like, Oh my <laughs> gosh. It's so incredible. I love that. I love the movie. I thought it was really good. It's there. It's not impossible that this movie could creep up to like in my top 10. Like I know like I've made my list and I'm locking it in right now, but like within like a month or two, the more I sit on this movie, the more like just each day I'm like, I think I like the iron claw a little bit more than I did yesterday. And, uh, and I think it's like one of the, like, it's just, I didn't expect it to make my list. So I feel like it didn't, but it's definitely an honorable mention for me. Um, it's crazy watching people learn about the Von Eriks. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I knew the story. I wasn't, like, overly familiar with them, but I was aware of, like, the Von Erich story, and I was aware that it's, like, Shakespearean levels of sad. But watching people, like, kind of go to the theater expecting, like, Jeremy Allen White and Zac Efron punching people and then leaving with, like, the most emotional baggage that you can leave the theater mm-hmm. with is uh, is crazy. Yeah. No, so good. Iron Claw also on my list, but I'll talk about it later. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. I, one other thing I do want to say too is just the final scene. The final scene is so good. Um, the child actor is not great, but the final scene where it's just like Zach Efron crying and the kids are like, it's okay. Yeah. The man has literally never shown emotion for the entire movie. Yeah. Having that one scene, I was like, oh, you're pulling at the heartstrings, aren't you? Yeah, that ending is, is truly devastating stuff. It's, it's amazing. 
Okay, so one one thing since since we're talking about like maybe some things that didn't work, um, I'll just throw this out there: the guy that they got for fucking Ric Flair, was was not was not great. They could have like, done better. Yeah, they they could have. Yeah, man, that was tough. I, think I was that... watching him. I was like, man, you're terrible on impressions. Like, yeah. <laughs> they could have got someone that does a good Ric Flair. He's so like, you know, hard like, to imitate, though. I think is the problem with Ric Flair. It's like nobody's Ric Flair except for Ric Flair. That's true. But I do, I do, I will agree with you. I think the guy they picked in the movie is pretty bad. But I feel like no matter what, it it would end up being a little bit distracting because he's just so iconic that it's like, that's not Ric Flair. I know that's not Ric Flair. Yeah. I think the thing about this movie, the only real flaw I have with it is I think the main, like the main family cast, all great actors. Anyone outside of it, not that good. Um, You didn't like Lily James? Like the, like Zach Efron's wife? Oh, well, yeah. But she, I I kind of include her in the family because she, um, but yeah, anyone outside of like kind of the main and supporting characters, not the best actors in my opinion, but they had a huge cast. Jeremy Allen White and, uh, Zac Efron is kind of the lead stars there. Like that's pretty big to begin with. So yeah. Great movie though. Yeah. Joe, your number six. All right. My number six, my, we, we talked about it briefly, but my number six is John Wick four. Mm-hmm. Um, just have to talk about the sound again, like opening scene him punching that thing like literally i think i don't think i saw an imax i saw in dolby and the sound in dolby like if there's something big like the the shake or the the seats will shake as well so each punch you you felt it and Mm. not only during that first scene but you felt it throughout the entire movie like each each punch felt like you could feel in the seat um but no you could just tell with this one that Chad Stahelski has like huge respect for just things that came before it. You could tell he's like a, like a cinema head. Um, and some of the coolest like duels, like samurai duels and Western duels, like that one with, uh, Hiroki Sonata and, um, Donnie Yen, that little duel in like the, at the continental, I think the Osaka continental, Mm -hmm. probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, and then the final Western duel, you know, just, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Love yeah. John Wick. So good. I completely agree. Yeah. I, 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 like I echo everything you said there. Just incredible stuff. Hayden, yeah. what's your number six? Number six for me is the holdovers. Um, mm. Nice. Yeah. I mean, Paul Giamatti is absolutely incredible in this. Um, Divine Joy Randolph is someone that I was like, my only knowledge of her as an actress prior to this was Sam Levinson's The Idol. Um, which was an mm. absolutely garbage TV show that came out earlier in the year. And when I watched that show, I thought to myself, she is the best part of the show. And so when I saw her in the holdovers and she continued to impress, I was like, get this woman in the Oscar conversation. Um, just all around great cast. Dominic Sessa, who is like a new actor who they found while scouting locations for this movie. His performance hasn't worked for everyone. Um, friend of the pod, Metalcore Nerd, Sean, Sean from Metalcore Nerds, didn't, didn't love the movie. And I think Dominic Sessa was... was responsible for that and I do get that his his performance is a little exaggerated and in a little you know not for everyone but I I was kind of moved by it I'll be honest I I was really into the way he was acting and the connection he had with Paul Giamatti um just a very like like you said a very emotional Christmas movie for people who struggle a little bit more during the holidays and a very cozy movie that I feel like you could throw on with like a little bit like a an old-fashioned in this movie just a, a crazy mm-hmm. duo an old-fashioned maybe some jim beam yeah crazy <laughs> duo. um funny movie as well there's some there's some lines that get you like you said wesley like the greatest line of the year is from this movie um 
yeah, I, think, I don't know. Like, I feel like I've I've kind of said everything I have to say about it, both on like the I made like a little TikTok for it, and I've talked so much about it in the last in the last month. But it's just such a, a moving story. Really reminded me of stuff like Dead Poet Society and Goodwill Hunting. You know, mm-hmm. just like a reluctant bond mm-hmm. that kind of gets formed that ends up very much affecting and changing two people's lives and, and the trajectory of their life. And uh, the holdovers just had me had me floored when I when I got out of the theater. Very emotional. I think the funniest thing that uh, our friend group has taken from it is calling um, getting the champagne of beers um, yeah. all the time. Mm. Everyone is calling it the champagne of beers now. Even I, I started working at the NSLC, uh, like at the liquor store here in Nova Scotia, and people will call it the champagne of beers as, as they're on the checkout. I'm like, oh, nice. And they're like, the champagne of beers. So that Miller High <laughs> Life, everyone. That's true. I drank them and, and I kept saying champagne of beers and then all the boys were like, I'm going to start drinking Miller High Life's and I'm going to exclusively call them the champagne of beers. Um, but just a very compassionate, loving, caring movie that, uh, I don't know, just a, a real slice of life movie. You know, you're really just spending some, like some people have said it's too long. I just wanted to spend more time with these characters, to be honest with you. Like when it ended, I've watched it twice now, both times. I was like, I could have another 15 minutes here and I don't think I'd be too bothered by it. Mm-hmm. Um, just really really great stuff yeah no I, I will say too about like paul giamatti's character just an incredible incredible arc because you know when it starts out he's just like this very by the book professor just constantly following the rules and like all throughout he gets like he like loosens up more and more and then by the end he just completely lets it all go because he formed this bond with with dominic says character and loses his job over it which is kind of kind of crazy but you know mm-hmm. it's yeah it's incredible i feel like the movie yeah. just serves as a great reminder that's like you know everybody's got their own battles everybody's got their own shit that they're going through in life um and even when it's easy to dismiss those things it's like when you when you notice and you see what people might be going through beneath the surface it, it it's heavy and i think mm-hmm. that the movie does a great job showcasing that yeah mm-hmm. um moving on to the top five we've cracked the top five ladies and gentlemen my number five barbie I had to put this one in here. Uh, Barbie is an incredible movie that um, so much so much of it got blown up with the Boppenheimer, all that stuff, whatever. But um, I don't think anyone can deny that Barbie was just like such this incredible deep dive into the stereotypes that are placed on women throughout their entire lives. And I think it's something that I totally didn't think about um, or never thought about, the fact that it goes all the way back to the dolls we grew up with playing like and when i think about it too the action figures i had were all muscly and jacked and stuff and you know so i think it's something that everyone can relate to and i think that barbie just did, did such a good job at taking this absurd world of dolls and playthings and all this stuff and having this incredibly deep emotional meaningful through line throughout the whole thing and this um amazing way of just showing everyone that these stereotypes that we've grown up with and these uh views on whether it's been a woman's body or how she should act or whatever like that uh it's ingrained in us and we really do need to take a look back and um tackle it at its source at its core which is the toys we used to play with um so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's all cool but it also gave us ken Okay, yeah, oh, Ken, and I Ken was going to say, you didn't I'm even let joking. me get I'm to joking. the part where I get to go, and I have been singing I'm Just Ken constantly <laughs> all year. Uh, when he made the Christmas version, I went ballistic, 
Yeah, that um, was amazing. And no, yeah, it's just like the movie has its moments where I'm like, Ken is so stupid and dumb, hilarious. And uh, there are like other moments too where I'm just laughing my ass off. But then at the same time, I'm like that scene where the old lady or she goes or margot robbie goes you're beautiful and the old lady goes i know i'm like Mm -hmm. oh it's just so cute it's so great and uh it's got these uh amazing just heartstring moments that i i had to throw it at my top five it's such a good movie i completely agree i feel like this movie works so well as both a comedy and a a deeper exploration of existentialism and Mm -hmm. it's pretty Mm -hmm. only greta gerwig and noah Noah bombach could do that with like a billion dollar studio ip you know like it's pretty amazing yeah yeah no barbie didn't it didn't crack my top 10 but there are definitely um definitely moments like ken is just dude rocks or dudes rock personified <laughs> yeah. Literally. and uh, you know, when i think of ken i think of a guitar riff in the background yeah i lost in, i lost interest in the patriarchy when i found out it wasn't about horses <laughs> <laughs> no and ken is so funny like and greta gerwig like i feel like she had a lot to say about ken you know she really cared about ken in this and Sometimes I feel like, you know, Ken's probably like the best character from this movie. <laughs> but um No, there there are some really great moments. Like there's that one line in this that uh that you know, I none of us can really relate to, but I think it's just like really nice and really heartfelt, but it's the one where um where where they say like us mothers stand still so our daughters can look back to see mm. how far they've come. Mm. I'm like that's really nice. Yeah. You know, that's 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 really that's really heartstring stuff. You know, that's yeah. I, what I love about this um, movie is how many like mothers and daughters are going to watch it and like what that's going to do for like people like a meet in the immediate moment, but also like mothers and daughters throughout the next decade and like what this movie might mean to them throughout life. I think yeah. it, it's very beautiful stuff. Catch yeah. me in my Dojo Mojo Casa House era this year. <laughs> <laughs> sick i do own uh i own a i am kenuff hoodie oh, so. i want one so yeah. bad i'll have to get one eventually yeah it's pretty cozy yeah it looks <laughs> just, so cozy just bought a 4k for this movie literally like an hour before we started this pod so <laughs> I, I love barbie yeah joe nice. your number five uh my number five is poor things dude um, okay me too so let's let's talk about it together nice Okay, yeah, poor things. Uh, for one, the the parts that really stuck out to me is just this insane, wacky, like fantasy world that Yorgos built out, and um, you know the the score is like fits that weird, quirky world. It's like just the most unhinged music I've ever seen. Uh, Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, they are so amazing in this, and. Um, just every scene where Emma Stone is like, what are you freaking out about? And he's just like distraught, like just crying because she's like sleeping with all these other people or doing whatever, you know, is the funniest thing. And um, I forgot Mark like Ruffalo he, could act like this. That's like the, yeah. one of the things I thought watching this movie. It's like, holy shit, I've watched him play a CGI green blob for like a decade and a half now. Like he is so fucking good in this movie. Um, yeah. He's just so funny and so pathetic and disgusting. And it, it's just really funny. Yeah. And, you know, the whole like exploration of like sexuality and all that stuff is just is really good in this film. And um, and yeah, no, I mean, this film, like like the boy in the heron has like some strange looking little guys, like yeah. <laughs> literally like a like a dog head on on a duck or something. I'm just like, what the fuck is happening here? But um, what the, the probably the, the hardest I've laughed in a the theater and uh, and yeah. 
poor things is it's it's awesome yeah i completely echo everything you said emma stone i want her to win the oscar because she has to convincingly play a character who goes through every stage of life in like an hour and 50 minutes or maybe two hours i think it is but like you watch her literally mentally develop like and it's like this Mm -hmm. it's this really weird thing where when you see her in the first scene she's like infant brain and then she starts rapidly kind of learning and growing and throughout the movie i think it's like it's a hard thing to convey as an actor like that that growth Mm -hmm. in such a like quick amount of time um willem dafoe is a little freak in this mark ruffalo is a little freak in this it's just like some of my favorite actors doing some crazy shit um the switch from black and white to color is like one of my favorite movie moments of the year um Mm -hmm. and on top of that like that dance sequence between emma stone and, and mark ruffalo I can't stop thinking about it, man. Every day, I'm just like, I want to live in the poor thing stance sequence. Um, it's just an extremely weird, yet exciting adventure. And like you said, like it's it's themes of like sexuality and like growth and like development, and um, just like full heartedly like being yourself, no matter like what society may may view that as, or, or like ignoring the the. D- the way the disgusting looks that people may give you for being who you want to be. Um, this movie is just like full heartedly like an ode to like, I'm gonna be whoever the fuck I want to be. And I think it's really fun and weird. And it's got some of the most insane sex scenes I've ever seen in a movie as well. Like just Emma stone really went for it here. Um, (laughs) completely just unafraid. She's like, I'm going to do whatever I want and whatever is required for this character. I I will commit to it. That's another reason I think she deserves the Oscar too. Um, but this is, it's a movie that I actually, more than anything else on this list, I struggle to find words for because I just like, just kind of really, really, really loved it. And I was immediately like five star freak little movie. Um, (laughs) your ghost is not a director who I've loved in some of his other stuff. I didn't really care for the favorite, his, uh, his previous collaboration with Emma Stone and killing of sacred deer is really good for Barry Keegan. But like, other than that, I don't know, like he's never really wowed me as a director like he did here crazy cinematography and just all around an insanely wild ride um that i'm excited to rewatch. it's it's such a crazy movie this is a uh, it's another one that i missed out on so you probably saw, nobody else saw it but i my face when you were like oh some of the wildest sex scenes i went huh yeah dude <laughs> <laughs> but i can't wait to watch it now it sounds insane i i yeah it's just one i missed out on uh, there is some controversy surrounding this movie that like i understand but it's not, I don't know, I don't fully feel capable of speaking on it, to be honest with you. But, like, people feel pretty weirded out by the fact that, like, Emma Stone's character is essentially an infant. And then you just, like, watch her have a lot of sex. Um, yeah. And I get that, but, like, she's literally, like, a fully grown woman. So, like, I don't, I don't, I didn't find it jarring or weird, but I, I get the conversation around it. I don't know. Yeah. I loved this movie, and I thought it was just such a fucking wild ride. Every year, there's some weird shit like this that I end up putting in my top ten. And this year, it's poor things. Is this a five out of five for you, Joe, or was it a little bit just short of that? It's just short of that because I have this weird thing that I don't, I don't want to take too much time to talk about, but I, I've like I've set a new rule for myself when it comes to like four and a half to five. In short, like if I put something five out of five, I would have had to think about it. Like I have to be obsessed with it for like months after first watch, you know. So no, it's four and a half. It's four and a half for me. Yeah. Right, Crazy moving. shit, man. Uh, Wes, I'm excited for you to see it. I'm excited to yeah, talk about it. Yeah, I can't wait. 
Uh, moving on to number four. Uh, I won't talk too much because we already did the big thing about this one, but number my number four is Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Uh, such a good movie. Nice. Um, like I was saying, I tried to watch it just casually, and I couldn't. I had to just sit and watch it again. Uh, such good emotion. Such amazing characters. Soundtrack's incredible. What more can I say? It's a great movie. Yeah, it is. Yep. Um, Joe, your number number four. My number four is Oppenheimer. Um, mm. Really, really love this movie, and I'm I'm typically not drunk like historical biopics aren't really my thing um but this was just incredibly well made like i think it's objectively probably the best like it's not my personal favorite nolan movie but objectively speaking it's probably like his best written and um like probably his best acted like if if killing murphy doesn't get this like you know yeah that that'll be yeah, you know, like I have another movie where I want someone else to win Best Actor, which I'll talk about in a bit. <laughs> but um, like I, I would bet money on Killian Murphy, and um, you know, score Ludwig, it's it's all around just a banger, and uh, yeah, no, Oppenheimer is is incredible stuff, an odd pairing too, like a like a crazy double feature. If you want to do like Oppenheimer and Godzilla minus one, that's like you know, oh, that's good stuff right there. That would be incredible. That's a crazy double feature. Yeah. That's 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 the one right there. But yeah, Chris Nolan is yeah. Objectively speaking, this is probably the best stuff he's done. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Oppenheimer's gonna come up later in my list too, but Same. Same. uh what I'll say about it is yeah, just such a technically impressive movie. Um a movie that really captivated me and made me a lot of times when I watch movies, I uh just like kind of zone in and I'm just like in the in the world. This movie, as much as I was zoning in, I was also so many thoughts were just going through my brain all the time. Mm-hmm. And after I left the, the the theater, I just there were so many things happening in my head that I couldn't formulate words for this movie. But yeah, it's just incredible, and it's one of the few movies where I am just like excited and also questioning my morality at the same time. Um, it's so good. So I, I, it will come up later on my list, but yeah, no, it was such a good movie. Yeah. Um, what else to say about this movie? I will also say too. Uh, yeah. Uh, just, sorry. One other thing. Um, oh my God. The first nuke they drop that moment, the intensity that you feel the suspension in the air when it hits. And when you finally hear it, like, Oh, we saw this in IMAX. It was in, Incredible. The decision yeah. to cut the sound is one of the most impactful and smart decisions I've ever seen in a movie ever. Like mm-hmm. I, yeah. I was fucking waiting. I was like, "Wait, are we not gonna? Oh shit! I can't hear anything now." Like, insane stuff. Yeah, and people meme about it a lot, but I, I genuinely think it's probably the best scene that Chris Nolan has ever directed. But the gym scene is pretty, uh, mm-hmm. pretty emotionally affecting as well. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah. Are you talking where the scene where like he starts to see what he might envision is happening in Japan? Uh, the gym, the gym scene where it's like they had already like they finished uh, constructing the bomb, and he was like, uh, like he was like trying to pump up the crowd. Yeah, he goes to like give the speech, and it's yes. like kind of all muted, and they're all yeah, clapping yeah. and cheering, but he is like, yeah, really going through the motions, and you hear like the screaming. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, one of the craziest scenes of the year. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. 
All right, is it is it my number four? Your number four. Okay, cheating here. This movie shouldn't be on this list, but I don't care. I'm putting it here anyways. Um, we went to a film festival a couple months ago, the Halifax Film Festival, and we oh, saw a movie. Cheating. This movie's not out yet. Uh, it comes out, I think, wide release. Hold on, I have an orange cat in front of me trying to stand in front of my computer screen. It comes out wide release, I think, in February 2024, so next month. Uh, it's Perfect Days, directed by, by Wim Wenders. I just, I don't know, man. This is one of those movies I had a crazy emotional experience with. It. I think Wesley can can testify to that. He He didn't have quite the same experience, but he saw what this movie was doing to me, and... I was just extremely moved by this movie, which is it tells the story of a janitor in Japan who finds the joys in the little things throughout his day. So you kind of just follow him day to day as he wakes up early in the morning and he goes out to, to clean toilets around Japan. And he he's it's like a, a break. His break eating a sandwich on a park bench is like the most powerful shit you'll ever see. Or like him going into a record store to like buy like a new cassette. It's just like all these little moments in the showcases like we kind of take life for granted and how some of the, the best moments in your life will often be the things that are, are the least impactful in the in the grand scheme of things. And it's really just a testament to the power of being alive and the beauty of being alive. It's it's a movie that has so much heart and so much love towards existing. Um, and like not the big moments, but the little moments as well. Uh, the lead actor, what is his name here? I'm just going to get it. Uh, Koji Yakuso. He's, it's a, incredible performance that in a perfect world would honestly be up for best actor but it's such a like understated quiet performance that there's no 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 way he's going to get recognized but just deeply moving movie that i i had a crazy uh experience watching i was i was floored by it it is in my opinion it is absolutely wild that hayden has this movie as his number what number four number four man but it makes yeah. so much sense for hayden um, this is a me movie all the way <laughs> this is such a hayden movie uh, all i'll say about it is it, yeah very much a movie just about finding the joy in the little things of life and the movie shows you that through the very dull scenes that happen the little things you get excited about as an audience member uh, but yeah, no, it is a really good movie. Uh, very much a Hayden movie. And I, when I saw that it was his number four, I was like, yeah. Man, I was hypnotized by this man. And all he's doing is just driving a car and just smiling. And I'm like, He literally so, just cleans so toilets. Me. That's the whole movie. Uh, but it's great. But it's not, I, I never found it boring. I feel like the movie manages to just insert so much life in, in the smaller moments that it just, it, it really worked for me. And I think, honestly, I just saw it at a time when I really needed it. When I was like, kind of down, kind of in the dumps, and then I just saw this movie that's like, hey man, it's really cool to, to be alive, and I was like, fuck, so right, he's so me. Um, <laughs> so anyways, yeah. Bros no, me for it. real. Yeah. <laughs> Bros me for real, for real, god damn. Um, well, damn, I, I wish I could have seen Perfect Days last year, but uh, like, quick little sidebar, would it qualify for like Oscar season like this year since it didn't get released wide? Or uh, I don't know, I doubt it. Um, yeah, because I think maybe it, maybe for twenty twenty four then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, definitely be a movie to check out if it does wherever it gets released or however it gets released um, in twenty twenty four. Yeah, it's yeah. well worth your your attention when it comes out because it is very much like a a slow slow moving quiet movie, but very impactful. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, all right, number three. My number three, and I won't linger on it too long because we've already talked a lot about it. Uh, it's The Holdovers. This movie yeah. is just so good. Um, I love seeing it in theaters. Uh, 
penis cancer. What can you say? You know, human <laughs> embodiment of it. Human embodiment of penis cancer. Yeah, we talked about it lots already, so I won't lot, yeah. linger on it a ton. But yeah, really good movie. Awesome. Uh, my number three is uh, is Past Lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember talking to Hayden about this, like when it first dropped. It like it it didn't leave my brain for like weeks. Um, Past Lives, like just a, a great movie about you know it it is the movie about what what could have been, and um, a great movie about you know finding closure, and um, just great performances by Greta Lee, and uh, I I can't say his name but the other guy, Haesung, in this. And, oh, uh, like, t- all throughout, like, at... Tail you. Okay, cool. Um, but, you know, awesome performances by them, a lovely soundtrack, a lovely score, and um, just a crazy story that spans, like, decades. And the fact that it works for just, like, this, like, a little two... I want to say it was a little over two hours. Um, I can't believe it works. And... Uh, like, it, it falls in the vein because I, Hayden, I told you about this, but I love the romance movies that are all about, like, when it doesn't work out. Me too, man. <laughs> Me too. That is my so, shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, but it's a happy ending in the sense that, like, you know, Sung gets his closure and then they go off and live their own lives. Um, but one of the lines that he says, like, towards the end is, like, what if this is a past life and we're already, like, someone to each other and, like, the next 10,000 lives or whatever. However, the Indian idea works. <laughs> I'm getting chills, man. I'm but, getting um, chills. You said that line. I'm like, Ooh. yeah. Um, but no, just really emotionally affecting stuff. And um, yeah, number three. Yeah. Just amazing. I'm glad it's here. I'm glad it's here on your list. I fuck. We'll talk about past lives some more. Yeah. Um, um, my number, my number yeah. three, right? Yep. All right. My number three is Oppenheimer. Um, sick. You said you're not sure if this is your favorite Christopher Nolan movie, and it's taken me about six months of constantly going back and forth on where it falls in the Christopher Nolan rankings for me. And I think I, at this point, I feel confident saying that it, it is my favorite movie by him. Um, nice. Just not something I ever expected to love as much as I did. Like you said, I'm not a historical movie guy. Like, I don't really care about that stuff the same way I do some other genres. But I feel like this is everything Nolan's great at as a director like you get so much of his style put in here despite the fact that he's telling a much more like subdued story from a lot of the stuff he's done in the past um and the way it it builds up gradually like you it's like building to disaster but it's framed like like a triumphant victory and by the time you get to this quote-unquote triumphant victory there's nothing really triumphant about it um and i think that it's really just a a five out of five i i said when i saw it like on the dive-in story I remember immediately just posting maybe one of the best movies ever made Um, because it's just like when you think of like this has everything that you're looking for from it like it's all there it's it's got all the IMAX like edge of your seat like thrills with the bomb but it's also like a really great character study Um, and it feels like three distinctly different movies there's this creation process throughout the first act there's the actual bomb itself in the second act and then in the third act you get to this more like courtroom drama type movie and I thought the third act when I heard it was like a courtroom drama was not going to work for me it all works it all comes together for one of the most exciting and and breathtaking cinematic experiences of the year especially if you saw this in IMAX like I'm not going to say that you didn't experience the movie if you watched it at home or if you watched it in a smaller theater but I will say like 
seeing it in IMAX when that when that bomb goes off is really one of the most memorable IMAX movie moments I've ever had in my life. Um, so yeah, Oppenheimer has to be number three. It's just a work of art and has me so much more invested in where Christopher Nolan is going to go in the future as a director. Where did you say it falls on your list, Joe? It's um, you said it's it's number four. Number four. Okay, yeah. So pretty close. Yeah. I don't know. Like Nolan is is capable of so much shit as a director and so much visual incredible stuff but the fact that there's not a single frame in this movie that's cgi i'm still like how tell me how somebody explain it to me how because i have no idea and i'm like i'm just taken away by it it's it's insane real movie magic okay real real cinema it finally came back to me you you were saying you're talking about the the triumphant scenes in this Mm -hmm. and that that's probably one of my favorite things about the film as well is that it's uh like once it leads up to those triumphant moments, like as a viewer, you, you feel that like, no, this isn't triumphant at all. Like this is actually terrifying, fucking terrible. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, one of the scenes is like when they're like holding him up and like they're cheering, you got the American flag flying in the background. Like once the test was successful, like watching that, I'm like, damn, this is like, <laughs> I'm not cheering. you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. It, it's the most like empty victory of all time, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. so yeah, that's, that's Oppenheimer. We talked about it on the pod. It's, it's a great episode. So Wesley and I, we went out for a beer and then we came back after we recorded Barbie, went out for a beer, came back, did Oppenheimer. And it's like, we did the double feature twice, both in the, in the, on, in the studio and in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Oppenheimer number three for me. Nice. Um, okay, I feel like your guys' number one is going to be my number two. So, we'll, what is your guys' number two? My number two is Oppenheimer. Yeah, okay. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah, my number two is Oppenheimer. I, I'm not going to linger on it. We just talked about it a bunch. Um, incredible movie. Uh, just really, yeah, the way it made me feel, um, just think of, thinking about my life personally but also just like the the ramifications and the detrimental things that have come from making this atomic bomb and like what that means for the rest of the world and like just the incredible performance from silly murphy like oh gosh like he does such a good job um that's what's what really cemented it as my number two was just the fact that even when i think about it in my head um it makes me want to watch it again like every mm-hmm. time I think about it, I want to watch it again. I want to break it down more. I want to, I want to see the things I haven't seen yet. You know, so it's just an incredible movie and such a, such an interesting take on a pivotal moment in history for not only America but the world itself. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. Yep. Um. All right. So number two is right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. My number two. Like I, it, it it's almost a shock to me that I like moved this to number two, but number two for me is the Iron Claw, and Whoa. um, oh. yeah, 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 the Iron Claw is um, like like we kind of mentioned already, all performances are great, and this was the performance I was talking about, the the one by Zac Efron. Like, if it didn't go to Killian Murphy, like I'm a campaign for Zac Efron, like how everyone last year campaigned for Andrea Risenberg to get an Academy nomination. <laughs> So what was was with that? That was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, I really hope that uh, Zach gets a nomination for this because, you know, acting like emotionless is almost it's 
I feel like it's tougher than most people think it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, not only is it that, like, he has to be emotionless all throughout the film, but then he has to get just kind of let it go by that final scene. And that final scene really just kind of wraps up everything that I feel the movie was trying to say. Because, you know, it's 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 got its commentary on masculinity and stuff. And it's like, oh, men don't cry. Like, that line, like, I used to be a brother. Fuck. And then his kids his kids talking to him like, Oh, we'll be your brothers or like, like, or his kids telling him like, Oh, like it's okay to cry dad because we cry all the time. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's like hard stuff. And then he finally gets that, like, like a nice little happy ending there, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, I feel like it also says something like, uh, like we're already talking about, like, or I already said that it's a commentary on masculinity, but I think one of the things that it says is that men don't, like typically know how to how to communicate with each other and there are like three times throughout this film where i'm like yeah this is apparent like the first time like he tries to go to his mom or zach efron tries to go to his mom and he's like hey like can you like talk to dad for me and like tell him that he's a little too hard on one of the other brothers i forget which one it was but then um at the end after that there was a scene where they were talking about selling the sportatorium and um he's like he tries like Kevin tries having that conversation with his dad, like, Hey, like I want to sell this sportatorium. And his, his dad just completely brushes it off. He's like, you know what? You, you like, you'll never walk through this door as like part of the family. If you sell the sportatorium. And then, uh, finally by the end, you know, uh, Jeremy Leon white, that brother, you know what happens. And, um, like instead of Kevin trying to like speak how he's feeling, he, he just gets upset and just starts to get physical and, that that's like to me it's like in this era the way they were brought up that's like the only way that they can get a message across is by being physical words mean you nothing. know yeah 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 so so yeah there's a lot about this that i really love um music is awesome like we already said and and yeah number two one of my favorites of the year i, yeah, I love that you have it high, so high up here because honestly yeah. like i i do adore this movie and i think zach efron especially if you grew up watching Zac Efron at all, like, you know, when, when high school musical was coming out, I was like mm-hmm. the perfect age for that stuff. And I think at my core, I've kind of always been a little bit of a theater kid. And so that shit is like, I just, I grew up watching him and all that stuff and then grew up watching him, um, and just rooting for him as an actor. And I feel like he's, he's got a bad agent because he has struggled to get roles that I feel like he's deserved for a long time. And this is the first time where I was like, holy shit, like give him more movies. Like he is incredible. And when you put him in a situation where he can act his ass off, like he's going to get nominated for the Oscar. Um, he is the last minute complication to, to Killian Murphy winning because yeah. like, he's so incredible in this movie and so much is asked of him. Cause like you said, he really does just have to hold this tension in this one beat throughout the entire movie. And then in the last few moments, just let it all out. And you feel like you, you can finally release this pain with him. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's, he's marvelous here. And the whole movie is just absolutely great stuff. Yeah, totally. Dude, no, dudes I'm, I'm rock not... and dudes are sad as well. Exactly. Exactly. I was going to say that <laughs> dudes <laughs> rock and dudes are sad. Um, but no, on a technical level too, I think it's like really well shot. Cinematography is really good as well. And, um, all the wrestling stunts, the cast, they did it themselves. Um, just very cool. There's... Awesome movie. The more I've been thinking about it, when, when I saw this in theaters, Wesley and I talked about a scene that we felt didn't work. And the more I think about it, um, I don't want to spoil it, but it has to do with all the brothers being reunited at a dock. Um, mm. 
the more I think about it, I think that scene actually really does work. And I think it really like complements the story that's being told because they're not in the wrestling ring because it's really just mm-hmm. a couple brothers reuniting in this spot that means the most of them. And it's not the wrestling ring. It's, it's their family property that they, they grew up on together. And it's just spending time with, with each other as, as family that always meant the most to them. And mm-hmm. to, thinking about that scene, I actually get a little choked up because it's really like, it's really powerful stuff and just an incredible, incredible movie. Yeah. And since we brought it, brought that up, I'll, I'll ask you guys, or well, we, I guess we kind of already spoke on it, but I heard this on the big picture. Like, I think Sean asked, asked them, it's like, why do you think it, they did it in a, in a farm field versus the wrestling ring? Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like the, the reason why it's not in the wrestling ring for me is because that's ultimately like the source of all their, uh, of, of their, of their pain, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, physically like literally physically and i think emotionally like it was because their dad like that's that's something this movie does as well is that it's a it's like the cost of obsession you know like yeah. his dad wanted he wanted it for himself didn't work out and then he was like oh i need this uh i need this title belt in in my house and even when jeremy on white gets it it's like no one's like really celebrating with him you know mm-hmm. he's just sitting alone in the kitchen and like as the audience member it's almost like you know like we, I feel like we should be celebrating, but no one is. And it's like, yeah, yeah. it's just the, the cost of that belt is crazy. Yeah, I totally, I think it's, uh, I totally agree with you. And I think it's really summarized in Zac Efron's, his character's like how he always says that he doesn't really care about the wrestling. He just wants to be there with his brothers. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it was never about the wrestling for them. It was about just being with each other mm-hmm. and being brothers together. And so, yeah, I, I agree. That's I feel like that's why the farm is way better than the wrestling ring because that's not what it's about. It's just about them uh, being a family again. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to rewatch this and then go through all the pain of it a second time and have it hurt even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this amazing. My number two is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah, it's my number I, one. Yeah. Okay. It's my number one too. Let's all <laughs> let's all just talk about, about it, it before. So let's just all talk about it and, and we can kind of start to wrap up here. because um, you guys are just did your number two, so now it's just Spider Verse for you guys to talk about, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. We did a pod on this movie, but goddamn, is this one of the most like breathtaking movies I've ever witnessed. Like seeing that in a big theater, the visual style of the film just washing over me. The realization that the hype wasn't for nothing, that it is as mm-hmm. good as Into the Spider-Verse, when that started to settle in, in my chest, and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this is just as good as, as what I wanted it to be. I was I was just floored by this entire movie, and I think it's everything you can ask for as a Spider-Man fan, but also as a fan of, of movies in general. It is really just like an absolute like spectacle and something to behold. Like, it's, it's insane. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. It's, uh, like Hayden said, we did a whole big thing on it, but I... The little blurb I had written up for it was, uh, I just like I love all the characters in it. I love seeing all these new Spider-Man, but specifically, uh, specifically Miles' story, uh, just throughout the first one, trying to find his own, and now uh, trying to find his own in a world full of Spider-Men. Um, like it's such an interesting uh, struggle to me to find that individuality when you know that there are so many others who claim that they're better than you, who claim that they've been there for longer who claim that they know better than you do to try and find your own individuality and make your own way without being pushed down by all these other people who are doing it better than you are like it's such an interesting story and it's another thing too 
it made me I, this happens to me a lot of times when movies like end on cliffhangers and there's a sequel it made me mad because i want it i want that next movie so badly not in the sense that it made me upset like oh they didn't do it good it made me upset in the sense that i just need the second one now because it was so good and i need that story to continue and so it had to be my number one because i was like uh i talking to hayden about this list i was saying i don't think there was another movie this year that made me feel the way that spider-verse did um yep. i there was no other experience i had in the theater that could rival the experience i had when i watched this movie and so it's just so incredible it's it's such an incredible story and they are nailing the multiversal aspects the different spider-men the cameos like uh, it's just so good yep i completely agree yeah um i think my favorite character from this has to be gwen stacy and just following her story from the first spider-man and knowing how she like oh she like doesn't do friends anymore or whatever um the fact that they went with her like the opening 20 minutes is like a cold open with her was just so cool and just you know going from there the beginning with her trying to find a band and then going towards the end of the film where it finally wraps up her arc and like you know quote-unquote starting a band is like i found to be very very moving and um what is so cool about this and this is why like for me if there's any score like original score that i want to win i i want i'm picking this over over oppenheimer mm. um sorry sorry to ludwig Ganapi, but like the score for this but <laughs> it has direct it it deals directly with the character because like, if you listen to the music in the cold open with Gwen Stacy, uh, the theme is uh, like, you only really hear her playing the drums, you know, like every other instrument is a little on the quieter end. But then once you get to the, to the final scene where like she's assembling the team or whatever, like you hear her drums come in and then you hear that guitar come in and that's like signifies like them bringing in um, what's his name? Hobie. Mm-hmm. And like you hear all the like the rest of the music just come together, and I just think that's like you know it's am- it's amazing stuff. It's amazing storytelling like using music, and I don't know, it's just awesome. Not it's, only music, and, I totally um, agree. Not only music, but also visuals, like with that with the Gwen yeah. Stacy scenes. Like she has got some of the coolest visually stunning scenes in this entire movie. Like the watercolor stuff, yeah. the way it drains when she's feeling like lifeless and when she's feeling hopeless, and then the way it it fills back up when oh man, come on, like. Yeah, and I really do think this is the one of the best examples in in maybe movies ever, where it, when it comes to like everything is servicing everything around it, you know, like the music mm-hmm. is complementing the visuals, which is complementing the story, which is like it all just comes together in in the perfect way. Um, I think the only gripe I have with the movie is that I don't have the next one yet. Like I just yeah exactly. I hate the waiting and I hate not knowing, but like I know it's gonna be worth it because. People hate the cliffhanger in this movie. I've seen people who really hate the cliffhanger. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers has the fucking nastiest cliffhanger ever. Like, just give it a little bit. Be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's gonna all pay off, and and it's gonna amount to one of the greatest trilogies probably in in movie history ever. So, I just gotta, no, just like wait. the 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 part one discourse is is it's funny to me just because like. It's like okay, like you you're guaranteed to get get more of this if you really liked it, you know. Yeah. And I I just can't imagine that like, you know, I I thought this was an amazing cliffhanger, and we don't get like to be continueds a- anymore, really, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the story is going to continue, and I'm excited for the story, like, 
instead of making me upset, it makes me like, like hopeful, you know, like I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Like this is going to be sick. Like when it comes out, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like the thing about this, it's like, you know, we have a bunch of like multiversal stories out there, but like, you know, this is multiverse storytelling done right. And, um, there are stakes that you can invest in and get behind, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? So it's a masterpiece. It's my only five out of five of the year <laughs> of the year. Wow. Yeah. As it wow. should be. Hey, oh. it, is, <laughs> it is a perfect movie. I, I was going to just say, yeah. I threw this on the other night um, just to like have something on in the background. And like you, Wesley, like I just ended up watching this entire you can't movie. not watch it. Yeah. I can't look away from it. Yeah. Like each scene I'm just so captivated by. You can't tell me that one of the best scenes of the year is not, Gwen and Miles swinging to Mona Lisa by Dominic Fike. Like, that is like... Oh, my gosh. It's just Amazing. perfect. Yeah. So, this movie, uh, like, I'm so excited for the next one. Yeah, no, like how the first film had a good soundtrack. This one is, like, just as good, you know? Yeah, the totally soundtrack agree. for this was the soundtrack to the summer for me. Like, Metro Boomin yeah. produced it. You know, like, only Metro Boomin can make me love a Coil Ray song. It's just, I, yeah. I've never been impressed by any of her music. And then self-love, I just found myself jamming to it the whole whole summer long. And pretty much every song on here, uh, on top of the score, absolutely rocking. Like, all the music made for the movie as well, just absolutely, absolutely rocks. Dude, Annihilate, I was bumming Annihilate. I was like, I just came to my senses. It's, oh, it's incredible. <laughs> yep, yep. You know, Mona, Mona Lisa, self-love. Um, hummingbird, all that stuff was oh, yeah. on insane rotation. Yeah. All yeah, all summer long. So that's your guess. And now this is one of those where like the movie came out and I've thought about it like so much towards the end of the year. So that's where the five out of five comes in for me. Yeah. <laughs> like again, just like, absolutely obsessed. If you're a Spider Man fan too, like which I know we all are huge Spider Man fans, like this is just all you can ask for. Like you mm-hmm. can, you can't ask for more as a Spider Man fan. The nods to previous material, everything, just perfect. Um, so that's your guys' number one. That's my number two. My number one is, uh, and it, it's kind of going to feel anticlimactic based on the way we just talked about that movie. Um, but my number, <laughs> my number one is, is past lives, which nice. it's just, you know, nice. sometimes you watch a movie and you're just immediately like, that is an all time favorite for me. That is one of the most moving experiences I've ever had. Um, that was me for past lives. And we did a whole episode on it where I kind of talked about the fact that I see a lot of myself in this movie and a lot of like lived life experiences in this movie. Um, so it just really spoke to me and really cut me deep. Um, but I think the way, like, like you said, like when you're talking about an epic, your brain immediately, immediately gravitates towards something like Oppenheimer or something like across the spider verse. This is an epic in a different regard. It's an emotional epic where you span 20 years with these people and their inner turmoil towards their feelings towards each other. And the way that they're kind of on a collision course in life to inevitably see each other again and and what that brings out in them um and it's really just a movie about about destiny and about about fate and about just this long reunion in the making um i don't know man i I, we talked about past lives a lot already and i've talked about it a lot all year but it is one of my all-time favorite movies for sure um it's one of the most emotional experiences I've had in a theater just by myself. Like I, I saw this movie alone. Cause I was like, nobody can join me for this. Like, this is going to devastate me. I know it's going to ruin me. Um, and it did. And I'm just so excited for whatever Celine song does next. Uh, I love Greta Lee. I love tail you. And I love John McGarrow in this movie. They're all incredible. And a lesser version of this movie would have John McGarrow's character be this kind of, you know, evil. He even makes a comment about it in the movie. Like he, he, a lesser version of this movie would have him be this kind of evil 
conniving shithead who like but it's not like that it's really just this empathetic deeply sad story about three people who get or two people but you know he kind of gets involved uh anyways and just this deeply emotional night that they have in new york city together um fuck i love past life so much the love that second movie. the second hayden watched this movie i knew it was going to be his number one I knew it. <laughs> there's, there's no more. There's no movie that is more of a Hayden movie than this movie right here. Like ninety percent of the movie, two people talking. That's a Hayden movie right there. Yeah. I get it. It's a great. It's it is a great movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, I knew I knew you were gonna love this one. Deeply moving movie. Um, did you did you guys get to visit where like where the where they filmed the carousel scene? No, did you guys visit that we spot didn't. in New York. I didn't oh. realize we didn't until after we got home, and I was like, I kind of hate myself for that. It's over in Brooklyn, that. right? It's in Brooklyn, right near Dumbo. It, it's in Brooklyn, yeah, in in Dumbo. Yeah, no, it's it's a nice spot to hang out, and there's good food around there. Um, Next time, I was I was there. Yeah, I was there the last time I was there in New York, and I was like, oh, this is a past live spot, and I'll probably check out the bar. Yeah, I, I I wonder if that bar is popping off now. Like it's insanely busy because of this movie. I, I don't imagine so, but that'd be interesting. Maybe we'll, we'll see. I'll I'll go see the Past Lives bar. <laughs> Dude, now we have to come visit you in New York and go over to the Past Lives Carousel. Oh my Whoa. gosh! Like, please, this has to happen. Visit, visit me, visit me anytime, dude. To link up with you guys in person, that'd be so much fun. Yeah, yeah. long time coming for sure. Yeah, but yeah, my number one is Past Lives for sure. I just I, I love that movie so deeply with with every every bit of my heart. It's just so moving to me. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, in- like 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 we mentioned, yeah, incredible. Like we said earlier, it's like you know the the movies where the romance doesn't work out. Like in the same vein of like in the mood for love, like La La Land, uh-huh. that that one scene from Everything Everywhere All at Once. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, it's 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 all yeah. My sa- my favorite yep. sub genre got to be love stories where where the love doesn't work out for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, that dang sad boy hours. Yeah, truly, man, <laughs> truly. Um, I think a lot about that that final scene and that that line of dialogue that you mentioned, where he's like, "What if this is one of our past lives?" And um, you know, that final shot of him in the back of a cab, just leaving New York as John Magaro holds holds Greta Lee. Um, fuck, just devastating, but just so so incredible. Um, so that's that's our top top tens of the year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. No. One one more thing, like. We we mentioned that line twice. The the like, what if this is one of our past lives? But then, but then he ends it with like, see you then, see you then. Like if if we are, yeah, if if we are something in the future. And I'm just like, damn, yeah, fuck. Again, both times you said that line for you, Heisung. I know, dude. Heisung's so me for real. (laughs) Um, But both times you said that line of dialogue, I just I got chills. It's it's really one of my favorite endings in in a very long time. Mm Hmm. Well, thank you for think, joining uh, us for this, man. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a long two-hour pod discussing everything great we saw in 2023. But I think if there's anything to learn from yeah. this, it's that there is some incredible films uh, that have come out in the past year, and if you haven't seen any of them, oh my gosh, check them out. But the Oscar race is going to be quite interesting this year. We all have some different uh, thoughts and opinions and hopes for who's going to win and what's going to win. So we'll just have to wait and see uh, come Oscar season. But yeah, there have been some incredible movies this year. And if you haven't seen any of them on this list, I do hope you check them out. And I do hope that we um, influenced you to maybe watch a movie you've never thought about seeing before or uh, take a deeper look at the films you are watching. Yep. Um, Joe, do you want to plug your socials and let everyone know where to find you? Yes, absolutely. So the Kyber culture, um, 
we're we're pretty much on every social platform. We're on Twitter. It's just at Kyber Culture. Uh, same ads on Instagram and TikTok. Um, those really those are really the only ones I use: Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And then uh, if you want to follow me on my personal, it's just J Deepak. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and if you want to find us, you can find us at the Diving Movie Cast uh, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, all those places. You can also find uh, our individual Instagrams. I'm at Wesley Giffen. I am at Hayden Kutris, and it is the same name on our letterbox. And on my letterbox, uh, I have a list of everything that I saw in the year of 2023, ranked from best to worst. So if you felt like 10 wasn't enough, you can see my 93 movies I watched this year. <laughs> uh, all the way to I only, to the very worst of them. I, I only saw 45. But no, my, my letterbox is also Kyber Culture. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you in the new year for new movies and exciting new pods. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye.